This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, guys, this is another episode here on the mindful experiment as I had a great time interviewing Thane Marcus Ringler. Um, Thane was awesome. This interview was amazing. A lot of great concepts, a lot of deep in- information. Um, there was a couple things we could have went so much deeper in, but um, due to time constraints, I, I definitely will be having them back on just to discuss some strategies and stuff like on biohacking and neurohacking and things like that. But Thane is a former pro golfer who turned into a writer, a speaker, a collaborator, and entrepreneur based in Los Angeles. Um, after competing for nearly four years as a professional, he transitioned out of the world of golf and into his new, new pursuit. 
In his current work, Thane is becoming, uh, coming alongside freelancers, business owners, and fellow entrepreneurs and helping them by taking the professional athlete's mindset to everyday people and everyday life. He is a passionate about speaking to the journey from the journey and wants to empower this generation to take ownership of their lives and never settle for less than they are capable of. Thane really shares some awesome stories of his journey. Um, shares about the darkness and going there and how you have an image in your life and you think everything is should be this way and the universe keeps hitting you with things and telling you Mm-mm, I got something else for you, something better, something more fulfilling. And for him and his journey, which is so powerful, because as a pro athlete, you're at peak performance. You you have to be at your best. Your body's your vessel to allow you to uh, play and, and endure at these high, high competitive levels. And there's a lot of mindset that comes into this, physical repetition and so much more. And Thane talks a lot about that in the interview, but he goes even deeper and talks about what he had, what the universe was kind of providing to him and what he had to do to make that shift. And after doing it, what did it mean? So this was a great interview. Thane dropped some awesome life nuggets here. Um, definitely be taking notes. I promise you, I was awe inspired after getting off this, this interview with him and I really had a blast, uh, with him. He is a cool, cool dude, uh, at the young ripe age of, of 26. Um, this guy has a lot he's going to be doing for this world. And I'm just excited that I had an opportunity to interview him and be able to share his, uh, his message and what he's up to. So with no further ado, uh, I am honored to present to you this interview with Thane Marcus Ringler. So Thane, uh, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate having you here. Dr. Vic, thanks so much for uh, for having me on. It's a, it's an honor. It's a pleasure, and I'm excited to uh, chat with you today. Uh, I know we got a lot to cover, and uh, I have a ton of questions. I've been uh, looking at everything that you're doing, what you're up to, and uh, I'm excited for the listeners to uh, uh, really uh, hear us get into this. So, uh, again, thanks again. I wanna. I was looking at a lot of stuff here. What a breakdown! Where I could start, um, mm-hmm. and. Professional golf, almost four years, yes? Yes, indeed. How was that journey? I know you're you're not doing that now, but how was that, you know, uh, to be a professional at that level, it takes a lot of commitment. Um, Is there uh, a specific, like, mindset that you dive into to play at that that caliber? Most definitely. You know, any... Any pursuit at any high level of excellence, um, whether it's performance in the business world, whether it's performance in speaking or um, performing in the arts uh, or in the athletics, when you look at the top tier of athletes, there's an incredible amount of sacrifice and commitment that it takes for any of those individuals to get to where they are. And, and it was a huge blessing, man, to be able to have that opportunity to play golf really my whole life, uh, starting at three or four years old. And, um, and then, and then being given the, the opportunity to compete on the professional stage was one of those gifts that honestly I, I couldn't be more grateful for. Um, it is an experience that it's hard to, it's hard to communicate effectively because until you, it's like most things in life, right? Until you really experience it, you aren't going to fully know it. But, but I think that the thing that people don't see in any professional athletics 
is the, the, the sacrifice that it takes to get there. People really have to be sold out and committed um, to that pursuit above all else in the midst of a high likelihood of failure. <laughs> and, and that's something that doesn't sit well individually, right? In your mind, that doesn't sit well when you're pursuing it. You're like, what the heck? What if I... What if I don't make it? What if I fail at this? What if, um, what if I never am able to, um, reach the level of success that I'm aiming for? And, and it's just a heightened version of really what we all experience in life. I love that. Yeah. I, I was talking to someone about this where we're talking about kids, which I don't have yet, but, uh, yeah. somewhere down the road, that's going to, you know, my wife <laughs> and I will have kids. We're, we're planning soon. But one of the things, uh, somebody was asking, they're like, would you have your kids? Are you going to kind of like influence them into sports? And I was kind of like, most definitely, because it's not about the sport or having them be in the best of what they do there. Although that I want them to be the best of what they can be, but um, it's the the life lessons that sports gives us. Mm, you're so right. Yeah, it's a great it's a great thing to 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 encourage them in because I think the beauty of sports is that they are so connected to life, but are at the same time very detached from life. And that's where I think the real benefit comes is because if if you were just saying if if, if we branded sports as learning about life, right? Instead of about having fun, <laughs> then we wouldn't like enjoy it and we wouldn't actually learn as much. But the fact that it's kind of hidden, the life lessons are hidden in a fun or non-life related activity. I think we gain so much more benefit from that experience. And especially as kids, you know, cause we're a little hard headed and we don't like being told what to do. So it's kind of a great arena and avenue to really learn about what being human is and, and what learning and growing in a, in a skill or a team effort really entails. I love that. And that's so true. I, you know, be able to disconnect. That's something I miss uh, from playing baseball, just uh, to let go of everything and just be in the moment and, and play the game. Mm. Uh, that's a good kind of good concept you brought up there. How long did you play baseball for? 25 years. Mm. So, wow. It was a lot of fun. Played when I was four years old, up to 29. Played semi-pro for about 13, 14 years. And uh, it, it was uh, it was fun. Had some chances to uh, kind of mess them up, but had some chances to potentially maybe go pro. Uh, you never know where that's going to take you. Um, but had a couple of injuries up along the way that kind of like said, this is not your calling. We're going to go somewhere else. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. It's it's a it's definitely something I can relate to, <laughs> and that leads us right to the next question. You know, so I, I know you did pro for about four years. Um, did something kind of halt you back? Was it something that didn't allow you to continue moving forward? Yeah, yeah, it was it was very similar to your uh, story and path and that and that about um, two years into my professional career, I ended up having uh, a series of events lead to a muscle strain in my back. And it was in the left rhomboid area, which is directly um, related to the golf swing and the point of impact in the golf swing. So it was a golf specific injury and it was in the middle of my season. So it really kicked off a chain of events that I learned through failure a lot in trying to recover from this injury because, you know, early on patience is a big problem and you never <laughs> wait long enough to heal, especially with strains. And if you break up, break a bone, it's a lot easier, right? You, you say, okay, put a cast on it, wait six weeks to eight weeks and you're good. 
Yep. Strain. It's like, well, it's kind of feeling better. Maybe I can actually do this, you know, and (laughs) you end up prolonging it. So learning through failure in that way, um, treating, you know, treating symptoms instead of root causes, learning from failure that way. And, and it was just a lot of, uh, it, it, the injury itself repeated and recurred about five different cycles of stopping, rehabbing, getting better, um, then it digressing and then stopping and, and starting all over again. So um, it was really a frustrating time and a time that was really challenging because momentum is just killed. Yep. Uh, you have no ability to garner lasting momentum because you're constantly having to stop and recover and rehab. So it was a really challenging time just from the aspect of never gaining momentum back and not necessarily knowing if I would be able to ever compete again or even play golf pain-free. That was a big concern. Gotcha. And, and I love you brought up a couple points here about, you know, patience is a big thing and, and just allowing the time frame to, you know, heal and mm. stepping into that unknown. It's amazing how an injury can teach us so much. How hard was it for you to let go of the control aspect of like, because humans, we love to control so many things. Mm. Like you said, you know, strain, it can be a couple of weeks. It can end up being a very long process. How, how what was there... I'm assuming there were some challenges here in that level where you're like, okay, this should be like at this level, this is where it should be at. And that's it. And, it, and, and you didn't get there. Um, how did you let go of that? Man, that's, that's so good. It's, it's true that, that really, that become, well, it's one of, I think a lot of people who are motivated and ambitious and striving uh, have that tendency, right. To control everything and try and force things to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that the game of golf actually does a really good job of trying to strip you from itself because golf is a game where realistically it's, it's humans trying to make their bodies be like robots, right? We're trying to repeat a movement robotically every time the same way. Um, and we just can't do it. And so there's this human element that we have to embrace and accept. And I think that's really the key is you have to just accept the fact that, that you aren't God, you aren't, you aren't the one in ultimate control and that, um, your, you know, your body is, is not going to make the same movement every time the same way. And that's a good thing. You got to, that's a beautiful thing, you know, like that's the dance, that's the art, that's the creativity in it. That's the performance in it. If we were all robots, life, life would be so boring and we would all look the same, which really none of us want that. (laughs) So, so I think it's, it's embracing that aspect of it. But in, in relation to the injury, I mean, again, I I had to learn a lot through failure. I did try to force things. I did try to um, make it happen on my timeline. And so, um, you know, those were frustrating things to experience, but experience often is our greatest tutor. And and having someone tell you something versus living it out, usually um, the second is what really produces the true lasting learning. And, And unfortunately, I had to go through that. I mean, I, at the start, I, um, it was in the middle of my season. So I had all these tournaments scheduled and some of them were paid for. And so I did come back too fast and then I had to push pause again. And I tried to get back then for the qualifying school in the fall and, and had to push pause again. And so, um, so I think those early times really taught me that, um, patience um, is not 
is not in relation to how much you desire it or not. Like how much you feel like being patient isn't what's important. It's about believing and preaching truth to yourself, even when you don't want to hear it. I love that. And uh, being a chiropractor, we we definitely understand uh, the aspect of the mm-hmm. journey of healing. You know, um, in my world, people want to just get better quick. They want the quick fix. And I, in, in my office, we're all about this is going to be a journey, just like it took a journey to get you here. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. No, you're so right. You know, unfortunately, I think uh, it's part of our human wiring. Like we all... Uh, have a propensity to um, uh, to short-term reward, right? Delayed gratification is really hard for us. And some of us are a little better than others at it, but it is a muscle that you build over time. And the majority of us are trained by society to want the quick hit, the quick fix, right? Yeah. And and the same is true with our, our medical uh, system, unfortunately. And, and if we just accept that versus like, taking ownership and challenging the status quo, not in a, not in a uh, divisive way, but in just a taking ownership of your body is, is really something um, I want myself and more within our country and our world to really, we have tools and ability to do that and um, to be able to challenge just like what we're being fed and take ownership of our, our bodies is really important. So I like, I like the work that you're doing. Love that. Love it. So what would you say then would be like the greatest lesson that you learned going through that, that journey? Hmm, man. <laughs> or, or maybe three, because <laughs> I know there's probably a lot. <laughs> oh man. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, it really, what, what it really taught me and what really stuck with me, um, is that we really have to appreciate and be thankful for where we're at. You know, I, I think uh, in those times, I, um, I really, I really wanted to be in different places, right? I was like, man, I want to be on different tours. I want to be competing. I want to be um, maybe in a different career path because this obviously is on hold and what the heck's going on, right? So I wanted to be in different places, but there's, we have to be just appreciate and be thankful for where we're at because um, there's always going to be uh, greener grass on the other side of the fence. And that's really because we're watering the other side of the fence. And the, the goal is to water where we're at. And so every part of life can be productive and helpful and it teaches us about something. And the hardest parts of life are the, the times that teach us the most. And so I think that that time really showed me uh, looking back on it, I wouldn't say in it, I would say looking back on it, I'm most thankful for what it taught me um, and and how I grew as a person through those trials. Now, in that moment, I, I wouldn't necessarily admit that or agree with that. But, you know, looking back, that's definitely the case. And, and really, it also the other gift from a practical standpoint is it instilled in me a real love for the human body and for figuring out how to optimize the human body. Um, uh, because that was my job, you know, my job was human physiological performance. And so when I was injured, my full-time job became, how can I solve this broken human physiological performance tool, which is the body. And so <laughs> it, it grew a big passion for me, even though I didn't have any background in that. It, it, it grew a lot of passion and information on just the function of the body, which is an amazing, beautiful thing, as you know. 
So the big question is then, have you healed from this? And, and, and do you still play golf from time to time and so forth? And praise God I did. You know, I, man, I, I couldn't like, honestly, that was a big, that was a big fear was that I would never get to play golf pain free again. And so part of, you know, part of the decision to transfer out was also like, man, I want to just play golf pain free again. And if that means, you know, not playing professionally, then maybe that's the best route. And so, um, I'm very grateful to be able to play pain free. You know, I think, I'm I'm so hyper aware of my body now that um, I don't know how much of my current body state is just from being hyper aware or from the injury, but there's still things I notice here and there. It's not small, it's not big things, but you know, the just the natural disproportions of playing a unilateral sport your whole life. Um, your body develops um, in ways that aren't balanced, and then once you're aware of it, you can't not be unaware of it. So <laughs> totally know what you're talking. Yeah. You love that. Yeah, totally. And, you know, now, you know, shifting gears, looking at, you know, your life, what kind of, cause you know, it's, it's, you have this go through this process. And I know this was, I kind of have uh, not, not at a professional level, but you know, you have these dreams and aspirations and all of a sudden you just, the universe keeps telling you, Nope, we're not going there. Nope. We're not going there. I have something better for you on the other side. Going through the injuries and so forth and having to make a decision not to continue with the pro at golf, what kind of inspired you to move forward and shift gears? What, where did the, you know, like the trust process to know, you know, maybe there's something else I should be doing. Mm. You know, it is, it's a process. So I think that's the thing to say first is that it, it's a process that takes time. It's not, it's not like a one day, you know, massive um, revelation thing. It, it took, time. Um, I took about three to four months to really evaluate and give it the space needed. Um, and then sought a lot of counsel, you know, sought a lot of, um, people that I knew, uh, people I respected, um, coaches, et cetera, the team. And, and then really just also a personal evaluation, right. Is just looking at, um, who am I, what am I good at? What am I passionate about? What, where can I make an impact in this world? Um, and I think that's one of the things that really I struggled with as a, as a playing a professional sport like golf is that it's so individualized. It, it just leads you to be so microscopically focused on yourself that it almost just drains you from being too inwardly focused and not necessarily, um, serving and, and caring for others. So I think, I think all those things combined, um, into just showing me that, you know, and, and I'm a Christian too. So it was kind of seeking God and just, um, what he had for me. And I really did feel that at the end of it, my conclusion was that he has created me to, to not to be a professional golfer, but to be something else. And, and then it turned into, okay, where, where does this path lead? What does this look like? And, and, and how do I start building into what's next? I love that. And that is that something more that you had to dive deeper inner within yourself or something you sought outside yourself? You know, it's a common, it's never, it's never one or the other. I think it's a combination of both in my opinion. And mm -hmm. I think that, um, it does though, take a really, um, intentional time of diving deep into yourself. And I think that's something that's scary for a lot of people. And, and I think we're all, you know, somewhat afraid of what we're going to find, you know, <laughs> and uh, the, beauty, the beauty of golf again was that it forced me to really 
just dive so deep into myself because at the end of the day in a, in the sport of golf and um, it's such an individual sport that your success or failure falls almost entirely on your own shoulders. And that means that you're responsible uh, for everything. And so you really have to uncover where you're not being responsible. And that takes a lot of introspection and reflection. So I would say that uh, the self-awareness side is a component that um, is harder uh, to delve into, but it's definitely uh, massively important. So for me, it was it was a combination of both. But I think that the the to the true the hard part is we can't see ourselves objectively, right? Yep. We're we're constantly subjectively um, seeing the world in ourselves, and so that's where we have to have outside sources that can help us gain an objective perspective as we look inward. Couldn't agree with you more there. And I love how you said self-responsibility. I think that's just uh, the the biggest thing that people in, in general, um, as a culture, we're trained to blame and look mm-hmm. outside ourselves instead of saying, you know what, I, I'm responsible because there's no one else that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, how yeah, much okay. I was just gonna say just to underscore that yeah it's <laughs> it's so hard right because oh yeah it, it's it, again it's choosing the the harder path and that's really man we that, that's like as a kid those those studies with children right the 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 cookie studies at Stanford or the marshmallow studies where you know <laughs> will you take the cookie now or wait for two and fifteen minutes yeah. and and that delayed gratification teaches us that we're we're gonna be it's going to be better for us and for others if we can persist through what we feel in the moment. Cause the moment really rarely tells us the right thing. <laughs> um, and that takes discipline. You know, we just have to fight for that discipline. I love it. Yeah. And I love that. There's a, there's a, um, a comedian who on Netflix, he has his own show. I forgot his name, but he does the marshmallow study and messes with the kids. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw it or not, but that's awesome for the listeners. You got to, I, I, it's only like six episodes and the guy's really funny, but he was like, um, he just, of course, being a magician, he started to, uh, take like a marshmallow out of his mouth and he took another one and he would take the kids without them thinking. It's hilarious. <laughs> I love when you brought that up. I was That's like, Oh, I got to say this. Yeah. Um, you know, so self-awareness, this is something that I believe is going to become a huge movement. Um, mm. I, I think as a society, we're so disconnected with who we are um, that, you know, self-awareness is going to be a huge tool for all that. How do you look What you know, how do you look at self-awareness? How do you, you, you start that journey, that process? Yeah, it is a massive issue. You're right. And I think it's becoming more and more of an issue with the more, um, the shortening of our attention spans through the improvement of advertisements and marketing and um, technology that brings about um, a massive onslaught of information and attention grabbing. So um, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's going to be, it's going to be a huge need. It already is and it's only growing. So then it becomes, okay, how, what's the process look like? How do you develop it? And I think, I think at the start, it just looks like carving out time for it. Um, it looks like setting up, uh, accountability or disciplines for it where, um, you're forcing yourself to do something you don't want to do, like put down your phone, put limitations on your social media usage, you know, those kind of things to help us 
ultimately we need to help ourselves help ourselves out, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's so many things that are not helping us out. So we have to choose the things that help ourselves help ourselves. Um, <laughs> and I love that phrase because this is it, you know, that's it. Um, so true. And, and I think for specifically for self-awareness, I've thought about this a lot actually recently. And I think it goes through a process, a threefold process. So, um, again, it ta- you have to carve out the space for it. But once you do, the the, the process looks like one, uh, s- seeing yourself retrospectively. So looking back through reflection, taking time journaling, meditating, thinking through what happened, what transpired, what what led to what action or decision. Um, then once we get better at seeing ourselves in the past we then need to start seeing ourselves better in the present, which is active recognition, right? So when you do something in the moment, being like, oh, I wonder like, what led to this or what caused me to do this? And, and once you kind of get that to be a habit and habitualized, then it becomes the, 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 the mastery step, which is kind of the proactive, right? Where you're able to see before you do something what you might do and then correct your action into what you really want to do. Um, and I think that process is really important for people to understand because it helps us break it down into more attainable elements. I love that. It sounds like chess in a sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And we're we're the opponent we're facing, right? <laughs> yes, I, I always tell people. Well, my podcast in the beginning always starts about the biggest battle you ever face is between mm-hmm. you and you. And uh, uh, I love when you were saying, you know, going into the you got you see things before the, you see your you see the reaction or the ripple effect that you're going to create before you do that action. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Is there a certain type of meditation or a certain type of journaling that you kind of recommend or you do yourself? Totally. You know, I did Headspace. Headspace is a great tool um, for people who are brand new to it. And and I was pretty new to it. So um, I ended up um, buying it and committing to it, um, especially in the golf journey. Uh, I would do it every day when I arrived to the golf course. And and like most of you, it's hard to, to make my... It was hard to make myself believe that it's worth it. And in the moment, I would reveal that that heart position by not doing it, right? And when yeah. I knew I should. And so the only way I could really um, trick, not trick myself, but in a sense, trick myself to do it was by saying, I'm going to do it when I arrive to the golf course in my vehicle, I can't get out until I get through a headspace um, session. So it was a great way to incentivize and, and commit and be disciplined to doing it. Man, that was that was one of the greatest tools for um, clarity, focus, and um, and mindfulness while I practiced, you know, so that that's massive. Um, I'd recommend that to the headspace route to anyone. Um, currently, I I love um, float tanks, so sensory deprivation <laughs> tanks. I've got a membership here in LA with with one, and it's just an amazing space because you're knocking two birds out with one stone. You're you're helping your mind and your body at the same time. You know, you're going without gravity, which is great for blood uh, circulation and for the Epsom salt. Um, muscle recovery is great for the the no gravity as well. And so you've got these three factors combining for the physiological side but then on the mental side you're you're left with nothing but your mind for an hour and i don't know of any space that i could really carve that out as well as that so it's it's a really worthy investment for me now 
I love it. And, and can you kind of just walk the listeners through of what a uh, sensory deprivation tank is? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a new thing, but basically it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tub. They have different models of it. The one I go to is a, is an enclosed room and in the room there's a shower and then they have a, a tank within the room. That's really big. I mean, I can, I'm six two and I can stretch all the way out and not necessarily touch. So, um, but it's filled with like, you know, six to 10 inches of maybe a foot of Epsom salt water. And so you get in there and you're completely buoyant. Once you lay down, you're, you're floating in the water and it's, it's temperature controlled. So it's really comfortable. And ultimately they're trying to make it to feel like you're floating. Like there's nothing, um, around you or in, you know, you're, you're almost floating in space is is a whole goal of it. It's depriving you of all your senses except for your mind. So the lights go out completely pitch dark. I mean, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And um, and it's completely quiet after they do music for like five minutes and then it dies down. And, and it's just an amazing, amazing place to um, to be. You know, we uh, that's a big thing, right? We are human beings. We're not human doings. And so much of America and our achievement-based culture is about doing, doing, doing. And we miss the fact that like, we need to just be, we need to, we need to be with ourselves, um, and with, with our situations in life and, and ultimately God. So I love it. And it, it's so true when you're, when you get to that being aspect, the doing just comes smoother and natural. Mm. When you come from that right place. Um, I love deprivation tanks. I always tell people you got to do them at least three times, uh, before it really start to get that massive, deep, um, connection but disconnection at the same time Mm -hmm. (laughs) totally yeah do you have do you have one there in chicago you visit oh yeah yeah we have a there's one i go to i haven't been there in probably about a couple months right now but i usually go like once or twice a month um, just to i could tell through my like meditations when i'm not able to get really deep into them um that i know i just got a lot going on and i just need to take some time away to go let loose let let go and just be with one, be with my, be with me, my self. What was, uh, I'm curious, what was the most surprising or most hardest thing for you as you were getting into it initially? You know, for me, it was, uh, um, I loved it from the moment because I've been meditating for like 10 years. So like connecting with myself, my background's in energy medicine. Um, so like Reiki healing and all these different other uh, energy modalities. So it, it was like, being with myself is always like, if you had, if you talked to me like 15, 20 years ago and I said, Oh, I sit in a space and I enjoy that. I, I would be like, <laughs> no crazy. I would never do that. And so as soon as I got in the first time I did it though, my body did not know how to relax. Mm. Like I had a muscle spasm in my neck for like 30 minutes and I was like, what is going on? I thought I was supposed to be able to relax in this. Um, but the second time around it was pure bliss and I was just like, Oh, this is what I was looking for. And ever since then I go there and when I get into that pure bliss mode, I mean, there's messages that will come or whatever is my intention when I do it. Um, it's one of those things, but it just, it's a really good, kind of desensitize us you know we're just sensory overload um yeah and you know my background as a chiropractor that's what we teach i mean that's what we we, we help the body to try to adapt as best as possible to all the stimulation uh, but our bodies are massively stimulus too much stimulus over time yeah so, no you're so right and it's similar to me like i i remember the thing that really surprised me most was kind of what you're saying is how much 
tension we hold in our bodies. I mean, it's insane. And it took me the whole hour the first time to like continually release tension. There's layers and layers and layers. Oh, and I felt yeah. it like release and release. It's like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah, it was it was funny. And I, I had my wife, we went together, you know, I have separate rooms, obviously, but it was one that I was, I was asking her, I'm like, you're able to relax. And she's like, No, I just, I, this is not for me. I don't think it's too much. And I was just like, give it time. Just give it time. I, yes. a lot of people I know in the neuro world are they they praise this stuff. And it's a great little thing we can incorporate. And I've been happy with it since. And it's been, uh, it really like for the listeners, it's it's something that can truly just give you that disconnection that is so needed and recreate that um, connection. Now, Thane, would you say that doing that type of work or that using it as a tool, does it help increase your, did it help increase your self-awareness? Oh, most definitely. I mean, uh, that's a massive tool for it. But I think you're, you hit the nail on the head that it's it's going to be overwhelming for most people, especially early on. I mean, 60 minutes is a long time. That's why <laughs> That's why I recommend starting with um, headspace and something like that. It gives you something like headspace and the first 10 are free on headspace, which is what's great about it. And so doing a few of those will give you a toolkit, um, different practices to help you endure the hour with your mind. And like my sister, even she, she went and she was only able to make it like 45 minutes, you know, <laughs> just, it's just, it can be a lot, you know? So, um, oh, yeah. but it is a great tool. And, um, and I think meditation of any, type can be a really is a really useful means uh, for self-awareness. And I do think everyone um, has different inclinations or preferences. So if that is meditating, if that is um, maybe just going on a walk and being open space, or maybe it's just journaling, you know, having a journal in front of you where you write out, I like actually using all of those, but you know, everyone pick, pick whatever's the lowest hanging fruit and just start committing to it. Um, And then you can add on with time. And that's why I always tell people it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, like, like for me, journaling is a great way. And just my own personal experience from journaling, it really has me see a different insight and perspective, but another tool just to get all the, the, the emotions out of me. Mm. So I can reset and get back to, and then I can see things from a different perspective uh, as, you know, as much as I possibly can so that I'm not, so if it could be, you know, I have a, I have a wife, so, you know, uh, relationships that aren't always on the beautiful ride of things. If if I'm not being, if I'm not seeing something and I don't get why we're not gelling, I can journal what I'm, what I feel, and then I can get my emotions out there. And then all of a sudden I'll, there's just like this insight that will come in and I'm just like, Oh, you dummy. You didn't see it that way. I'm like, all right, there's some I totally missed. And then I'll come back to my wife. We talk and next thing you know, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I missed that. You know, there's my humanness. Yeah. You know, it's funny about that too, is I think journaling is, I think it's important to the distinction to make is that pen and paper usually are best because it's so funny, you know, computer one, I mean, you can be easily distracted and it is more artificial feeling, but I think there's a cadence to pen and paper that gives our mind the space and time and the patience to really unravel our thoughts in a very fluid way that the typing just doesn't. Oh yeah, no. And one of the things, just speaking from a neurological standpoint, when you write, you're activating more centers of the brain. Mm. Then compared to typing, because typing is just dexterity. So, and the way that works is the more you stimulate different areas of the brain, um, it does allow to go deeper. That's why, like, 
if you ever nowadays it's not it's very uncommon but if you ever had a handwritten note from someone um you feel the energy from that mm. where if someone just typed it out and sent it to you you're like yeah okay whatever cool that was very nice of them you may feel something but it's not deeper mm. if that makes sense at all yeah totally no it's 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 very true i've experienced that undoubtedly so so <laughs> the other thing <laughs> the other thing i love too is just on a daily like a habit thing yeah like, weekly for me is um I love to try and catch at least one sunset um a week mm. and I've been doing a couple right now I've been doing probably two or three man I, I've got some hills above where I live and I try to get up in the hills and see the sun just move across the the skyline the horizon and that is one of the most helpful resets for me living in a place like Los Angeles it's incredibly busy um, there's endless opportunity. It's um, go, 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 do, do, do. And taking time to just see the sun set and fade helps reset you to realize that you are one human being in a world of you know 10 billion, whatever it is now. And your significance really isn't as big as you think it is. So let's connect to the rest of the humanity and get your eyes off yourself and onto others and, and, and be thankful. You know, it really does produce gratefulness. So I love that. And, and that's a great way to just ground yourself. Would you say? Yes. Well, there's that whole grounding aspect of it, right? When you get on the earth and the, the frequencies that it emits, I mean, it's kind of up your wheelhouse too, right? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's doing a lot, you know, you're getting a lot accomplished from that. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I always tell people like there's something you can do if you're doing some, uh, uh, have you ever done uh, like sun gazing at all? No. You ever hear of it? I haven't actually, which is kind of, I'm, I'm pretty big in the biohacking world, at least. In, in right. So this is kind of fascinating me. I want to learn more. All right. So Google what sun, sun gazing is all about, but it's a Hindu practice that they've done for eons. And, and it's, uh, there are people who say that just by looking at the sun at certain times of the day can actually feed you. And as you build this muscle up, I used to do it to where I would stare at the sun for like 15 minutes. Now, uh, just a disclaimer, you're looking at the sun when there's no harmful rays. I just got to say that because somebody may go outside at noon and be like, oh, wow, my eyes are burning when I'm looking at it. And it's like, no, that you don't do it that time. Um, but they, there's, there's frequencies in light. Like we, as a human being, we couldn't exist without the sun. And a lot of the movement in light therapy, they're starting to understand more of is, how like, you know, there's all this blue light stuff. So if you're in the biohacking, biohacking world, you know, already, you probably heard about the blue light and how bad yes. it is for you. You know, the, do you have a pair of orange glasses or red glasses you wear at night? Yep. I've got the blue light blockers. I've got the iris software that does help reduce the flicker and take away a lot of the blue tones. So I've got, I've got Love some it. few tools I'm implementing for sure. Yeah. So sun gazing is just a great way to, um, um, you know, 15 seconds when the sun's hitting the last 45 minutes before it goes away and 50, 45 minutes before it, once when it just starts to get on the horizon, you have 45 minutes before the harmful rays start to come. Um, but you just stare at it and it's a, you know, you start 10, 15 seconds and you work your way up increments every day, five seconds. So it's a, it takes like a six month process to get to the 45 minute range. Wow. Um, but it's really a huge reset. And what it does, we're just starting to, there's a lot of research coming out about the cellular function aspect of what it does. And it's huge stuff. So um, if you're in the biohacking world, check out sun gazing. Um, very, very powerful. And then also, if you're going to be looking at the sun, throw some water on that grass, put your feet on it, 
if you have grass there. If you got, if you, if you're in LA, I mean, I'm assuming a beach is not that. I, uh, is the beach not too far away? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's right. definitely to make sure. Close. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, so sand is a really good conductor also. So it's one of those things where, um, but yeah, you can do that and that will uh, just amplify things even more. I love it. That's, that's something I'm going to look into. Thanks for sharing. Oh, no, my pleasure. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was going to ask about some, uh, uh, biohacking, but I want to, I want to get into your book. I know you just started writing this, you wrote this book and, uh, uh from here to there. Uh, and uh, one question I want to start with is, um, what was your, uh, passion? What was your urgency or calling or what was your drive to say, I want to write this book and I need to get it out there? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting story, actually. So uh, this happened, this this initial idea was planted actually when I was in January of 20, um, 2017, when I was flying, um, actually January of 2016, when I was flying to, uh, um, I was on my way to Thailand uh, mm-hmm. for a Asian tour qualifier. And the week before I left, I felt the injury kind of re-aggravate. And so I knew in my heart that I wasn't going to be able to compete. Um, but I had to go and try. You know, you wouldn't get your money back. So I was on the way and I was thinking, how can I repay my investors and sponsors for the gift that they've given me in in this this pursuit and this and being able to 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 play golf professionally? And so um, that was kind of where the idea of the book was birthed. And so I just jotted down a bunch of titles of what it could maybe be and kind of shelved it for a season. And then that summer when the the fifth cycle of the injury happened, uh, I felt that God was giving me the space just to start. So I took a month of figuring out what it, what I all that I had written before through blog posts and tried to organize some semblance of an idea of what the book would look like. And then I just dove in. I was like, you know what? I need to just start writing. So I spent two to three months writing. Um, and it initially was the, the goal was to write a book about how golf teaches you about life. Mm-hmm. And as I wrote it, it really turned into, um, it shifted into a book more about uh, how to pursue excellence in life illustrated by my experiences as a professional golfer. So it's, it's, it's my perspective on what the path to mastery really entails and di- sharing the different mental models or frameworks for how to travel down that path more efficiently and effectively. I love it. I can't wait to read it. Um, who did, you know, I had someone, I was on a podcast, get interviewed and someone asked me a question, who did I write my book for? And I love that question. Um, so who did you, who did you write the book for? Or who is it? You know, who's your, yeah. yeah who did you write it for? That's a great question. I do love that one as well. Um, it was written, uh, twofold. I think, it, you know, I think it's funny when you, when you initially write something, you have an idea of what it's for, but afterwards you're like, no, this is actually who it's for. Right. So yeah, yeah I think that's it, exactly what I went through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Initially it was, it was for, you know, my investors, it was for my friends and family and it was for, for, um, people that are strivers, you know, that are pursuing something. Um, as I wrote it, uh, and it was actually more explicitly for the golf community than too. I think as I wrote it and now when I, when I look at it and what it is and what it turned out to, it, it's written to, you know, young adults. So collegians, um, early career, young career, 20s and 30s, um, because it is my perspective from that time of life as well. And so my grandpa had some really wise advice. He's, when we were talking about this, he, 
you shared, you know, look, you're, you're on mile eight or nine of a marathon. And for you to be writing about the marathon just isn't wise because you're not there yet. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's why I wanted to make it clear. Like this is just my 25 year old's perspective on the path. But even in light of that, I think that it can be really helpful for people in this stage of life. And then it's also, you know, the secondary theme is um, definitely golf. So I think golf, the golf community at large would really, or anyone who does knows about golf will appreciate some of the illustrations that are shared too. So I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely recommend this to some of my uh, big time uh, uh, golfers in my, in my office. Love it. <laughs> Let them know about it. Um, before we wind up, there's a couple of questions I always love to ask um, just to uh, um, pick your brain on some things. Uh, one of them is the first one's always, what book would you recommend to listeners outside of your own that would you would um, say that it was a big influential part of your, in your life? Hmm. Oh man. I, books are such a gift, you know? And uh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to go three (laughs) different avenues. I know. Yeah, that's fine. The first I I can't not say is the Bible. That's the thing I read the most. And it's the book that has had the most outsized influence. So if you haven't read it, it is the greatest, in my opinion, historical document. And so I think it's worth reading at least once, regardless of what you believe. Um, the, that's the, that's what I'll start with the, um, performance wise. So the things that had the biggest impact on me in pursuing professional golf, there's a trifecta that I would recommend to anyone. First was the rise of Superman by Stephen Kotler, amazing book on flow and how to get into the zone illustrated by extreme or professional uh, athletes on the extreme level. Uh, the second one is the talent code by Daniel Coyle. And that one does a really good job of explaining where talent comes from and how it is somewhat from your, you know, your nature, but it's more nurture as well. The, the deep practice that it takes to develop talent. And then the third was The Mindful Athlete by George Mumford that really dives into um, yeah, what it looks like to uh, be completely in the moment, be in the present when you're competing, and to remove distractions from your mind or pressure outlying circumstances. Really good book on the mental side. Um, and then I'd say just like now, uh, Biggest Impacts this last year, because of recency bias, of course. <laughs> but um, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott is an amazing book on, um, yeah, powerful conversations, what it looks like to be very uh, vulnerable, authentic, and real with people in a helpful way. Uh, I think the other one that comes to mind is um, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. Just, mm-hmm. it's a classic on how we're, you know, how we're, manipulated for better or worse that one's really helpful and then the last one is um more recent um uh what is it called the uh oh leadership and self-deception yeah that was a really good they got the authors did a really beautiful job of narrating this concept through a story throughout the entire book which is pretty unique so um i liked that take on it and it's basically showing how um showing how we deceive ourselves, how we betray ourselves, um, and how, um, interpersonally we can, it, it, it kind of helps us 
challenge our perspective and get outside of the box that we usually put ourselves and others in. So those are a long-winded answer to your short question. <laughs> so I can tell you do a, a little bit of reading. Here and there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, this is good stuff. I definitely, uh, there's a few on here I haven't read, so I'm definitely going to put those on my list. Yeah. Um, what about, you know, t- if you had to give advice to yourself 10 years ago, of what you know now, what would you share? If it was one thing, if you could do a couple, that's fine. You know, this one I can be a little more succinct, I think, with. So um, 10 years ago, it put me at 16, actually. And um, and I think that the thing that we need to, to understand, whether you're in your, you know, in your school years, your college years, your career years, is that really... the I think the essential ingredient with whatever stage we're at is learning. And learning itself is not a passive endeavor. It's an active pursuit. And I think that we are trained to assume that education um, and learning are synonymous when they're really not. Education is something we receive and learning is something we have to fight for. And so I think I would tell myself that um, that that... I would tell myself that perspective and understanding of learning. And then I would also encourage myself to um, be, be um, attain the title of a lifelong learner and start um, giving myself that title, title by actively seeing every situation as a beautiful opportunity to learn. I love that. I, I always say that earth is a class and every day is a new, new, new lesson. And, yeah. And if you're really in that present moment, being aware uh, man, it's, 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 it's a whole different world there. Again, it's something that someone has to experience. It's hard to explain in words, but mm. um, I love what you said there. Cool. I, I got one last question and that is what is the most influential quote you've ever been, uh, that you have read that played a huge role? Your life. Oh, man, <laughs> Dude, you're hitting, man. Quotes are probably my favorite thing. I mean, um, I have a list full of quotes that I constantly <laughs> hang to like every day. So to pick one is like, you know, asking you to pick your favorite child. It's, it's almost, you know, uh, I got but, you. but I'll, but I'll, I'll, I'll share two. Cool. So perennially the one that, um, uh, that, that, um, that I really love from one of my favorite athletes, Travis Rice, who's one of the best snowboarders on the planet. He said that you'll never, you'll never know your full potential unless you push yourself to find it. And, um, and that was really powerful for me as one that I really hung on to. Um, and then there's one recently that really is beautifully depicted and it's, um, uh, there life is life is full of um obstacle illusions and that one is really good because it's a play on something that we commonly associate but um it's true that uh, i think that a lot of times we see obstacles as obstacles when really if we can see them as opportunities to learn um it changes the way we embrace them and the way we strive to um, use them to help ourselves, um, not only individually, but societally as well. So true. Uh, I love that. That is, um, you know, I was, I was talking with a patient and we were talking about self-awareness 
And I looked at them. We we're talking about the flows and ebbs of life. And one of the things I said to them was, is that if you're truly self-aware and you're hyper-focused, um, nothing in your life will ever be bad. Mm. Not one thing. Because just what you said there about you know the ebb side, where it's like, you're not going to see it as something down. You're going to see it like, all right, I'm growing. Here we go. Let's do this. I'm learning something new. I'm going to grow. I'm going to expand. I'm gonna, life's going to be even better. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny when we go to the gym, like the, the, the first nine reps don't matter. It's the 10th rep that matters. (laughs) Like the first nine reps are only to get you to that 10th rep because that's where the real growth occurs. And that's what we love. You know, we love growth. We love progress and we'd be foolish not to admit that because we're human. We all love seeing progress. And so we have to understand that that 10th rep is the progress and then we get to love it, you know? Yes. Um, but it doesn't ever feel the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it usually never does. Especially in the moment, right? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. This morning my sister actually took me to Soul Cycle for the first time and I wasn't uh, I wasn't feeling it in the moment, you know? I was <laughs> uh-huh. I know what you mean by that one. <laughs> I love it. So so Thane, how can uh you know people get a hold of you? This will be in the show notes, but um how can they reach you best? Yeah, I'm I'm on the socials. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter or, or even Facebook at, at Thane Marcus. Um, and then my website is ThaneMarcus.com. Um, so yeah, those would be the best places. And, and I also have a, a podcast you could check out called The Up and Comer Show. Um, so any of those places, send me a message. Would love to connect. Awesome. Well, Thane, this was awesome, man. I appreciate having you on. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Vic. Yeah, enjoyed it. Um, A lot of fun chatting with you and uh, keep up the great work, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.